0: My name is Stu Davis. I'm the Community Relations Director at the Springs Rescue Mission, and uh, it really is a privilege for me to be able to be here with you this morning and just hopefully get, uh, get you a little bit more educated about what are some of the issues behind the issues that you might see uh, in our community regarding homelessness. I know that... Um, how many of you guys have been here in the past couple of weeks as they've done this series over the last couple of weeks? Okay, almost all of you. Fantastic. Great. So you guys, I mean, you got... Some great information last week from uh, Matthew, good friend of mine and a great partner with not only New Life, but just this community. And uh, I think he gave you guys some really good insight about some of the other things. I'm going to give you just maybe some, or maybe just reinforce some of the statistics that you might have heard. I'm not exactly sure what all the details are that you guys have gotten. So I want to make sure that you understand kind of the backdrop of homelessness in El Paso County, what that looks like. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what the rescue mission is doing, what uh, the partnership that we have with New Life Downtown looks like um, and, and New Life Church in general. Um, as well as just churches around the community and what's happening to kind of bring together a lot of churches around this issue of homelessness. And then I also want to make sure that I give you guys some opportunity to ask some questions and and get some answers to some things that are maybe on your mind, either specific to the rescue mission or maybe just there, there are things that have come up as you've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. So let me just take a quick second to pray and then I'm going to show a video and then we'll just kind of dive into some information this morning. So Lord Jesus, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together as the people of God to be perhaps a little bit more informed or educated about what it is that you're calling us to do to respond to what is a very visible issue in our community. I pray that we would be compassionate and wise equally, and, and that what it looks like for us to extend hands of compassion would be done with uh, not only soft hearts but with intelligent minds and uh, that we would do so in a way that's helpful to the people that are struggling but that's also helpful to and mindful of our community and the various efforts that are, that are in place already. Thanks so much for what it looks like to be the body of Christ in our community, uh, in this city, for what you're doing in our city, not just at the rescue mission, not just in churches, but what you're doing all across our community to bring the kingdom of God closer. So we look forward to being a part of that, and even so, this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Let me show you guys a video that you may or may not have seen, but either way, I know that you'll have some faces that you recognize, so. It's not fair. When I fall asleep on the sidewalk or I fall asleep in front of a store with good lighting because I don't want to get raped or killed in the middle of the night. It's not fair. It's not fair anymore. I was raised in poverty here in Colorado Springs and so I know a lot of the challenges people here face. The people on the street, um, it's not that they don't want services, it's not that they're choosing to be homeless, it's that they didn't have an option. We have a growing population of people who are on the brink of poverty and who are on the brink of homelessness. It can seem like a problem to solve or a nuisance to sort of push to the side. And uh, I think what the Springs Rescue Mission is doing is to say, no, these are people to love. These are people to care for. These are people to lend just a little bit of dignity to. The Springs Rescue Mission, this project that we're working on is exactly the project we were looking for when we put together the initiative to end homelessness. Springs Rescue Mission's uh, program philosophy starts with, with relationship. We are intentional about getting to know them, learning what their real name is. Uh, they're not Tex or they're not Dallas, but when you know that they're Bill or they're Sam or they're Fred, they have a story. People around the Springs Rescue Mission have kind of have become my family. My mail get here and I sleep here, I eat here. The Springs Rescue Mission's vision for the campus will first and foremost save lives. We currently don't have enough beds in our community to offer everybody who needs a sheltering opportunity a sheltering opportunity. The engagement center that we're building is going to give people a place to go where they can look people in the eye who are ready to engage in a relationship, to listen to their story sit down and talk with them say how can we help you what is it that you need and then we can start to put them on that pathway out of poverty we all have a purpose because you know what we're all worth something i don't know that there's a more compelling issue right now in the city of colorado springs than this issue of poverty and homelessness and i don't know that there's a better opportunity for the church to join than, than this one right here and right now. Our city is waiting to see what the church will do. And they are ready to see the church stand up. Okay, so that just gives you kind of a glimpse of where we're at today. And and I want to talk a little bit about where we've been in terms of specifically to the rescue mission, where we've been and where we will be in fact um, I don't know if, if you were in the service just a few minutes ago, but they were talking about how on Friday night, we opened the first part of our expanded campus, which is a 168 bed year round shelter. So for the very first night on Friday night, we sheltered 88 men and 55 women in a brand new facility um, that's, gonna, that's designed to give sheltering opportunities to the most vulnerable of our homeless population uh, year round, not just on a seasonal basis. So it's the first uh, shelter of its kind designed to give year-round what's called low barrier sheltering opportunities to those people who otherwise would not be able to find some sort of shelter uh, in our community up until today. So um, that's pretty exciting and I'll talk more a, a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Let me just give you guys a little bit of information that you may or may not have heard like from Matthew or, or some of the other places but these are just some statistics for you to keep in mind. Um, These are all based on, uh, some of these numbers are all based on uh, some surveys that were done this last year, uh, coming up on about almost 12 months ago. We know of 1,302 homeless individuals in El Paso County. When I say we know of, these statistics are all based on people self-identifying as being homeless. It's going to come back. Yeah, see, there we go. Um, We'll figure that out in just a minute. Hopefully, um, I didn't touch anything. I promise. Um, so that that term "self-identified" is really important because there are a lot of people in our community who are facing homelessness that may or may not consider themselves to be homeless. They're couch surfing with a friend. They're sleeping in their car. They may be able to find some sort of temporary situation for a night or for a week at a time. Um, so there's probably those numbers are probably higher than that. Let me see if I can get off of this. Oh, lovely. Um, try this again but you can see right there those numbers um I'll I'll break those down a little bit for you the the big number that we at the rescue mission focus on a lot is that red square kind of there at the bottom see if I can get this to come up there we go okay that 311 unsheltered number essentially what that means is out of the 1302 total come on homeless individuals that we have we'll just have to kind of bear with that I don't know what's going on Um, We know of about 300 and it's now actually probably closer to 350 individuals who did not have any sort of access to shelter at all. After all the shelter beds were full, after all the sheltering options were accounted for, there were still roughly 320 people who did not have any sort of access to shelter. That's a lot of people. It's a big number. And a lot of those folks are the folks that if you spend any time outside of Sunday mornings in the downtown arena, those are the folks that you see walking up and down the downtown corridors who are trying to access various points of service located throughout the downtown arena. Um, These are the folks who society, at least for the most part, has generally said we don't really have a place for you to be. So Springs Rescue Mission, our kind of philosophy for sheltering is, I mentioned this a minute ago, it's called low barrier. And, And let me explain what that means. Essentially for a lot of the organizations around our community who do provide shelter for people in need, they do so on, on essentially a conditional basis. You have to meet certain criteria in order to stay in their facility. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Because if you're sheltering, for instance, families or people who are in, let's say, just a transitional situation, their houses burned down, There was a flood of some sort. Some natural disaster happened where they lost their home, but in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, they'll be either in a motel or into their new housing situation. If you're sheltering families, you need to have conditions based around who's coming into your facility to keep those kids safe, right? So you don't necessarily want somebody who's been living on the street for the last 15 years and self-medicating their own uh, mental illnesses over that period of time, sleeping in a bunk next to somebody who's five or six years old and their house just burned down. So you need to have conditions based around to, uh, your facility to, to, maintain, to maintain some safety and some cleanliness and some order in those facilities. So I'll just use as an example, a great organization here in town is uh, the Salvation Army's RJ Montgomery Center. It's just up and around the corner from the rescue mission. They're a family shelter. You have to have some safety measures around who's staying in that facility in order to keep those families safe. But a lot of those conditions Uh, disqualify the majority of our local homeless population from finding shelter in those facilities. Those barriers would include things like um, a valid ID, being clean or sober, having a pet, um, having a clean criminal history, and so on and so forth. Those are all things that should be in place if you're trying to maintain a clean family shelter. But again, it precludes a lot of our local homeless population from finding shelter in those facilities. Well, those 350 people or so still need a place to be able to go. They still need a way to get out of the elements, especially as we come into some of these colder months of the year. And that's essentially what we've done at the Springs Rescue Mission is try to remove as many of those barriers as possible so that those folks still have a place to go. Now, that means that the Rescue Mission can be, I like to use the word, a pretty colorful place um, because we have you know, lots of folks with deep mental illness, lots of folks who have been struggling with Uh, substance abuse for long periods of time, and a lot of people who have a combination of those two things. And their pathway towards recovery is going to be long, and it's going to be difficult, and we know that. But again, if you start with the place that, you know, all these people are valued in in the eyes of God, then that means that we can start to put those folks on a pathway that, that, like I said, kind of eliminates a lot of those barriers. So when you hear that term, low barrier, either from me or from others in the community, That's what that means, and that's essentially how we do what we do at the rescue mission. I'm going to see what I can do to get through this kind of choppy little uh, screen here. I don't know why this is doing this, but um, I'm just going to skip over this really quickly. This is just, and again, you can't see it very well, but um, this is how some of the numbers from last year, uh, which are in the front, compared to the numbers that are this year, 2015 to 2016, All the numbers in all of our kind of homeless categories have gone up. Some of them have gone up a lot. Some of them have gone up only a little bit. People ask me all the time, are we seeing an influx of of more homeless people come into our community? Um, The answer is yes, but not like what you would probably think. The reality is we just have a very visible homeless population, mostly because there hasn't been anywhere for most of these folks to go. And we've also seen a, you know, more folks getting kind of pushed into homelessness because of the increases in the cost of living in El Paso County. You may or may not know that last year, we had the highest rate of increase in housing costs of any county across the country. Um, and so it's just getting more and more difficult for folks who are on the lower end of our socioeconomic system to find affordable places to live. The reality is in our community that hunger is not our biggest issue as a community. And I don't want to say this discompassionately, but you just need to understand that there are plenty of places for folks in our community in every part of El Paso County to find warm, healthy, free meals every single day. And probably enough of them for them to make it through the day. The real crisis in our community is affordable housing. There are just not enough options for folks who can't afford it or who are living on very low, low-wage salaries or incomes to find reasonable places to live. The, the most recent statistic that I heard um, is that for every 100 people in El Paso County who are in need of an affordable housing unit, there are only 16 units available. That means that for, out, of every, out of every 100 folks who are, are, are in a low income situation, 84 of those folks are trying to figure out how to make do on spending about 75% or more of their take home pay just to keep a roof over their head. Okay, that means that 20 to 25% of their income is left over for food, for utilities, for just the basic necessities. That makes it pretty hard for folks who are trying to make ends meet and doing so if a family is involved. So this is why you see some of these numbers growing up. I'll also say that um, a significant portion of some of these numbers going up has a lot to do with the increase. And we know this just based on statistics of recreational marijuana and the legalization of marijuana has been a big issue um, I want to say this tactfully, but I want to say a little bit thankfully that we're squeezed in between Denver and Pueblo, which have both made it much easier to access recreational marijuana than El Paso County has, and so people kind of choose to go one way or the other. So we just need to hope that you know, we just continue to get smarter about how we're making things available. So just here in El Paso County, and again, I'm sorry, I don't know why this is happening like this, but one in eight of our local, homeless, or our local population are living at or below the federal poverty line, We have 26% of our population is living at $26,000 a year or less. Okay, so just let that sink in just a little bit. 26%, one quarter of our local population is living on $26,000 a year or less. Now, that does include people like, you know, young college students and, and, you know, different types of demographics and so on. Essentially, what all that is is designed to do is just give you a backdrop for what it is that we do at, at the Springs Rescue Mission. Our whole goal, now we're not going to serve all 26% of our local, home, our, our, our local population that's living in poverty, that's 120-something thousand people, okay? But what we do see is we see about seven to 800 families every single month that come onto our campus, unique families, that are in search of some sort of material aid to help them get through the month, get through the week, um, just get through this period of life. So we see a lot of, a lot of folks that come in at the end of the month and they're trying to make decisions as to how to spend their money between the rent, food on the table, and paying the light bill. And so a lot of folks come onto our campus in search of help for food, either right here, right now, coming into our kitchen for a meal, or something for them to be able to take home with them so that they can prepare it at home with their family. We also have about, like I said, the majority of that homeless population, that 1,302 individuals, are coming onto our campus on a very regular basis to access either shelter, food, or some sort of connection with an individual, uh, one of our case managers, who can help start to walk them down that pathway towards recovery. Do we see every one of them? No. There are certainly plenty of people in our local homeless population who they don't like the fact that we're a faith-based organization. They don't like the the fact that we ask them to participate in something. They don't like the fact that there are some rules about being on our campus, that you can't Bring your weapons onto our campus so that you can't, you know, openly use, you know, the drugs of of your choice. Those are some things that we ask people to do or to participate in. So there are folks who don't necessarily come, but the majority of them, and especially as we continue to build out this campus, are going to be able this is really going to be the best option, maybe the only option for some, to be able to find some sort of rescue or respite from their situation. Do I need to log back in here, Scott? Bear with me for a sec. All right, well, we'll see what happens. This is essentially what it comes down to at the rescue mission. This is, this is, this is how we do, this, this shapes everything that we do at the rescue mission. I want to talk about a couple aspects of this. To see lives transformed and filled with hope as our community works together to fight homelessness, poverty, and addiction. The thing that, that excites me about this is the community working together part. Um, and this is one of, one of the things that I hope that you hear from me and from, actually from the church here at New Life Downtown and from churches all around, is that this is really starting to happen, this community working together part. Again, this probably is the most visible issue in our community. Just six weeks ago, eight weeks ago now, um, Mayor Southers listed it as his top priority is to figure out what type of homeless resources we can get in place across our community. It's his top priority. So it is a big issue. (laughs) Um, I I don't know if it is. It shouldn't be. So... Scott's going to help me out here, um, but that whole community working together part—that is the—that's how this thing is going to get solved. And one of the things that we were able to celebrate this last week with the opening of our new shelter is that we had really the three sectors of our society: nonprofit, for-profit, the public, the private, and the government sectors were all three working together to essentially get this campus launched. And that's the way that this whole thing is going to work. It's not—it can't be all on the government. Because you and I both know that the government can't shoulder the load for every person in need around our country. But it can't be all, based, it can't be all on the shoulders of the for-profit sector either, no, let alone the non-profit sector. It's going to happen when there's a partnership between all three. And one of the beautiful things that I've been able to watch, that we've been able to see at the Rescue Mission over the last several years, is to be able to see the government chip into this project by contributing $2.5 million to just help us get this thing started. And then we're seeing, I mean dozens dozens, and, and it's getting to the point where it's almost hundreds of churches that are weighing in and getting involved in small ways, just with volunteers, in big ways with, with dollars, and in lots of other ways with donation drives and material goods and all cor- sorts of support. We're getting to a point where this is becoming not just the, the biggest issue, but the biggest rallying point for the Big C Church in Colorado Springs, and it is so exciting to be able to watch, to be able to be a part of. Essentially, what we do— is boiled down to five words. And if you're taking notes at all, these these five words are worth writing down. Um, The five five words that describe exactly what we do at the rescue mission and how we want to see somebody, whether they're in kind of the working poor population, whether they're trying to find their way out of addiction, a life of addiction, or they're trying to figure out how to get out of their own situation of homelessness. We walk people down a path that's kind of described by these five words that work in sequence. And here they are. Relationship. Hope, empowerment, transformation, restoration. I'll say them again. Relationship, hope, empowerment, transformation, restoration. Those five words kind of work in sequence so that we can start with the basics, trying to build a trusting relationship with somebody who has probably learned not to trust anybody up, to, up until this point and just working them down a pathway so that we can go from the starting place of relationship and try and through the, the, the ways of building trust with folks, give them an opportunity to start having some hope. Every time that we can interact with somebody, it's an opportunity for us to try and build trust with folks. Let me just give you a quick example of how this relationship thing works. If you have been to our kitchen in the last couple of years and you've seen this room, this small room, we can squeeze in about 70 people at a time and just sit them down at a table. They come in, they sit down at a meal. What you would have seen in years past is people sitting at long rows of tables, kind of your standard kind of cafeteria look, where somebody sits down, a volunteer walks up, pats them on the back, slides a plate of food in front of them, says, glad that you're here, and then we hope that they enjoy their meal, find a a few minutes of rest from from the weather, and then they go on about their business. Over the last year or so, we've changed that room just in some small ways. And for instance, one of the things that we've changed is they're no longer sitting at long rows of tables. They're now sitting at round tables. And now all of our staff and volunteers, instead of having somebody like me standing up at the front, preaching to a whole bunch of people that are sitting there waiting on their meal, and kind of banging on a pulpit and telling them you need Jesus, and you got the three sleepy guys in the back who are getting saved for the third time that week, just so that they can have their dinner. um, We've changed it around so that now people are sitting around tables, And we have staff and volunteers that are sitting there that are just ready to have a conversation. We've changed this in every aspect of our programming so that somebody who's coming onto our campus for some sort of material good, clothing, food, household goods, whatever it might be, they're coming in and instead of just walking into a clothing store, grabbing what they need off the rack, checking out with somebody and then going on their way, now they come in and they interact with a volunteer. And that volunteer sits down and just says, what's your story? What's your family look like? Are you living somewhere? What are the things that you need today and how can we help you over the next couple of weeks? And then they actually walk around the clothing store or they walk around the food pantry with them and they try and figure out, okay, what are the resources that this person has at their disposal? Do they have a range? Do they have an oven? Do they just have a microwave? Are they living on the street and they have none of those things? And how can we help them shop for the food that's appropriate for the size of their family and the resources that they have? And give them what they need for the next couple weeks so that we can then invite them back and come again. And that volunteer is a part of the relationship building process. And what happens when somebody's able to engage in a relationship, when they actually can look in the eye of somebody who says, we're with you, we can help you, and we want to be here alongside you, is they then start to, be, to experience a little bit of hope. That they can start thinking about Tomorrow. If you've never really you know, walked alongside somebody who's living in poverty, one of the things that poverty robs you of is the ability to think about tomorrow. Most of you don't have a hard time with that. You know that you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow, or you know that you're going to you know, have kids to take care of tomorrow. or you, you can think about what tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday and, and next weekend look like. For somebody who's living in poverty and you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight and you don't know where your meal's going to come from and you're just not sure if you're going to be able to connect with anybody who can help you at all, then you just have to think about today. And so when we can start helping people think about tomorrow because they know where they're going to sleep, they know where their meals are going to come from, and they know they got somebody walking alongside them in a significant or meaningful or resourceful way, they can start thinking about tomorrow. And that starts to give a spark of hope to somebody who maybe hasn't had any up to this point. And once that somebody can start having some hope, then we can start putting some tools in their tool belt. It doesn't do any good to, to give somebody tools or resources if they don't have any hope. Does it make sense? Because once you put something in their hand, if they, don't, if they can't think about the tomorrow, they'll just spend it on what they, can't, on what they have for today, right? Because if you, if you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, if you don't know where, what tomorrow is going to bring, then whatever you get today, you're going to spend today because you're not sure what, what, what tomorrow is going to look like. Um, I hope that makes sense to you, and and I hope it makes sense about why you see what you might see when you encounter somebody who's experiencing homelessness. It it starts to make sense why somebody's going to drink themselves to sleep tonight under a bridge because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We would never condone that, but you start to understand why it might happen. So it's important that somebody has a sense of hope before they have the tools, if that makes any sense. And so once they start to have that hope, then the next step is that empowerment step, where we start to give people tools, resources. We, get, we start to make connections with other agencies, other organizations around the community that they might be able to connect to and find some of those resources that are going to help them back, get back on their feet. For a, a homeless veteran, connecting them to Veterans Affairs, connecting them to a local social worker, connecting them to a house specifically for veterans in transition, whatever that might be, starting to connect folks to various organizations, giving them tools, giving them resources, giving them connections that's going to start helping them walk down that pathway. And then once they do that, that's the empowerment part, then it becomes about transformation, getting them off of the streets, getting them reconnected to their family, getting them back to where they can have access to the you know, uh, medicine that's actually going to help them in their recovery situation so instead of self-medicating with drugs or alcohol now we can get them to see a medical care professional who can actually or a mental health care professional who can start giving them the appropriate tools to start managing what it is that they're dealing with so again we 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 do we see a lot of homeless veterans so that's an easy one for us to talk about you talk about somebody who's come back from a combat situation um, whether it was 30 years ago or three years ago and they're coming back and they've got you know tremendous levels of ptsd and the only way that they found for them to be able to uh, kind of regulate or medicate their PTSD was um, by using marijuana. And it's, it's legally easily available here, but it's a big no-no federally. And so it's a, it's a disqualification. It, it, it gets you a dishonorable discharge from the U.S. military getting caught using marijuana. So now you're talking about, and this is one of the things that General Jack Briggs, who's on our board, is particularly passionate about, is homeless veterans who make these kinds of mistakes— and who then disqualify themselves after spending two or three or four tours overseas, disqualify themselves from all kinds of benefits that a lot of other people have access to but are still very much in need of recovery. And they end up being dishonorably discharged, they find themselves on the street, they have no support network, and then where are they supposed to go? So these are folks that we encounter, and that's just one of many situations that we encounter on a a regular basis, but we have to start with the relationship part and then building some hope, empowerment, and then getting them into transition, getting them to that transformation stage where we can help them get off the streets, help them find a a more sustainable living situation, get them back into the workforce, get them reconnected with their families, get them back to healthy again, both mentally, physically, and spiritually. And then that last part is, is the restoration part. We want to see people restored. We want to see people restored back into the workforce we want to see people restored back with their families we want to see people restored back to health we want to see them become contributing members of society again and all that's going to happen because of those step stair steps that we've walked over the course of the last six months 12 months 18 months it could be longer than that there are folks in our local homeless population who have long histories of mental abuse deep histories and involvement with substance abuse and, and those are folks that kind of the system refers to as dual diagnosis individuals. These are folks whose pathway towards recovery is going to be long. And if I could be honest with you, there are people that I know in our local homeless population who will probably die. They will spend their last days at Springs Rescue Mission. But their option is to do so either underneath a bridge where nobody's going to know or care or to do so at a place where somebody does care and where we know their story and we can help them. In whatever way that looks. This this last week, one of the things that we celebrated uh, in a big way about a very, what would seem like a very small thing, there's been a gentleman on our campus um, whose name I probably shouldn't use, even though it probably wouldn't mean anything to you, Um, but a man who's clearly of some sort of Middle Eastern descent, but he has clearly some long-standing and deep mental illness issues. Um, And this is somebody that we just don't know a whole lot about his story because he just doesn't talk to anybody. He won't talk to anybody, but he hasn't set foot off of our campus in the last 24 months because he knows his reality tells him that somebody is waiting to kill him as soon as he does, as soon as he leaves. So he hasn't left. And that's okay with us. We're okay with that. Um, He's one of those folks that if you heard anything about kind of the camping situation that we had on our on our campus a few months ago He was one of those guys and we just knew that we needed to keep this guy on campus because if he leaves Then things could get very scary for him So just this last week for the very first time he came into our shelter He checked in he took a shower and he spent the night on our campus And so we have this kind of daily report that goes around to some of us about how many men are sleeping in our shelter and how many people participated in what we call healthy healthy engagement activities, things that they're doing to contribute to some of the work on our campus, just cleaning bathrooms and sweeping floors and those kinds of things that we require of folks who are staying in our shelter. Um, And then but below all the numbers, the guy that sends out that report every week says, oh, and by the way, so-and-so stayed on our campus this week. So he stayed on our shelter this week, I should say. And that's a big deal. And it took us 24 months for him to feel safe enough to check in, take a shower, and sleep in a bed. It's a long time. But we praise God for that. Honestly, we do. And, and, And that one comment... I mean, that that email probably goes out to 20 of us. That one comment got a response from almost every single person on the email chain saying, we're so glad that he's finally here. We're so glad that he's finally come in. The numbers, great. The number of people who are taking a shower, great. The number of people who are sleeping in a bed, great, fantastic, all that stuff. It's the individual that got the attention. The one guy that it's taken us 24 months to engage with. And I say that because I just want to let you know, like, For a lot of us at the Rescue Mission, it just comes down to individuals. Yeah, I could tell you about the 150,000 meals that we'll serve this year, and it'll probably be closer to 250,000 this next year. And I could tell you that we're going from And this is where I wish the the show was up so that you guys could see more of the pictures of what this campus is going to look like. Because I could tell you about us going from 10,000 shelter bed nights last year to over 55,000 bed nights uh, this coming year. The last winter we sheltered 60 people a night. And this winter we'll be sheltering 250 people every night. Um, I could tell you a lot about the numbers and the statistics and all that. But for a lot of times it just comes down to the people. And there are people who are in genuine need of help, and it's not an easy fix. It's not just about giving somebody an extra meal. It's not just about putting a few more dollars in their hands. It's not about, and this is why when I talk to folks just like you in the community, we talk so much about panhandling. Because let's just assume, and this is a terrible assumption, but let's just assume that all the folks who are standing on a street corner are actually homeless and in need. Okay, Terrible assumption to make, but we're just going to assume that for the, for the next few minutes. Handing somebody a few more dollars on a street corner is never going to help that person get better. You're paying them to stand on a street corner. Okay, What are you going to do if somebody comes up and hands you five bucks for standing right here? You're going to keep standing there. Okay, You might go use a, a, few, a few of those dollars to go to a meal when you get hungry, but you're going to come right back here because you know people are going to pay you for it. And When we do that, We're removing people from places like the Springs Rescue Mission that have programs and services designed for their long-term recovery. So even if they are really in genuine need, them standing on a street corner is completely disconnecting them from all the resources that are available somewhere in this community. Could be downtown, could be. Mercy's Gate up north. It could be Tri-Legs Cares up in Monument. It could be Helping Hands out east. I don't care where it is. There are plenty of places around that are, that are designed to help people. But when we just hand somebody cash out the window, it's not helping them connect. And it's an even bigger issue when you consider the fact that 80% of those folks who are standing on a street corner are not accurately representing their situation. Almost the, the vast majority of those folks, I can tell you, are not homeless, I'm not saying that they're not a need, they might be in some situation of need, but they're certainly not gonna get better by people just handing cash out the window for them to stand, continue to stand there. So we live in a very, what I call a very generous but uninformed community. Now you guys have information. Now you know what's going on, now you know the need, you know the statistics, you know some of the numbers, and you know what places like the Springs Rescue Mission are doing to try and help people get back on their feet. Those are the kinds of solutions that are gonna actually help people walk down that pathway. And now that you know that, we can hopefully start directing those people that are in need, standing on a street corner, sleeping under a bridge, wherever you might encounter them, in your own church, which it does. It, it's, it's pervasive across just about every church. You'd be surprised that there are people that you know that are probably experiencing deep poverty, if not homelessness, and you just don't know it. But now you have a place to be able to direct those folks and get, start to get them on that pathway towards recovery. Does that make sense? So those five words, I just want to make sure that you guys hear that, that there's, there's a philosophy of change that's in place at the rescue mission that our programs team has worked long and hard on to make sure that when we encounter somebody, again, poverty, addiction, and homelessness, we work with kind of these three circles of people, that whatever their situation is, however we come into contact with them, we're walking them down this pathway that's a, that gives them the appropriate tools at the appropriate times to start making appropriate changes. And hopefully what we'd like to see We know that poverty and homelessness are going to continue to exist, right? It's a promise of scripture that the the poor you will always have with you. But the thing that people often misjudge when they hear Jesus quoting the Old Testament in that passage is that what, what the Old Testament, what Deuteronomy was trying to communicate is the poor you will always have with you, therefore be generous. Is the whole idea behind the Old Testament command. So we know that we're going to continue to deal with this situation, but we know that our call is to be generous. And the way that we're going to get there is by providing people the variety of options that they need for shelter, for food, for clothing, for recovery, most of all for relational connection that's going to help them walk down that path. Does that make sense? So let me just take a few minutes to just answer some questions that you guys have. I apologize that for whatever reason this thing wasn't working. Um, That's not been an issue for me before. So I couldn't give you as much visual as you might have wanted to to see, but um, what questions do you have? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so the question is, and I'll repeat every question just for the sake of the recording. I, are there pamphlets? So we have a lot of printed material, some of which is going to be in a, on a, at a table out in the foyer when you guys leave that you can take with you. What I do have that you guys could keep with you is for those people who support us monthly, our, our monthly supporters are called Neighbors of Hope. And for those people who support us monthly, and you can decide whatever that, it could be $5 a month, it could be $5,000 a month, any, anywhere, it doesn't matter. But every couple, a couple times a year, we'll send out a packet of these meal cards, um, essentially like a business card-sized piece of paper that says a free meal on us. And on the back side, it has our location information and the times that we serve meals. Um, and we know that all the meals are, are free, um, but not, a, not everybody who's standing on a street corner knows that. Um, and it's something tangible for you to keep in your purse or your glove box that you can keep with you and that you can hand out instead of handing cash out the window. And a lot of people talk about food. Well, can I hand somebody food? standing? Well, that's not a bad thing, but most of that stuff ends up getting discarded anyway. Um, and so really, I mean, there's, there are very few things that somebody who's standing on a street corner is looking for other than cash. And if we want to continue to see panhandling uh, kind of get to be a, a larger problem, then we can continue to hand people cash out the window. If we want to see it go down, we need to stop giving people cash. So that's something, it's a good alternative for you to be able to have that directs people. My next step in that... In those meal cards, I'm still trying to find the right person in the city to talk about making those into bus passes. Because I would really like for, if you're standing at North Academy and I-25, and somebody gives you this meal card, now you have no excuse. You're standing over in Manitou Springs, you have no excuse to not get on a bus and come down to the rescue mission. So really, I mean, the campus expansion that I would have shown you on the screen, I mean, it's beautiful. Guys, this shelter that opened on Friday night is it's gorgeous and it is I mean, it's not a tourist attraction but I mean Gary you've been in it I mean it is phenomenal and it's this big spacious it's not luxurious it, you know it's it's still it's still a shelter we don't want it to feel like somebody's living room, but it's a place that's going to provide people dignity and hope and this courtyard that's attached to it and the day center that's coming uh, this, this spring that's going to give showers and laundry facilities and case management options for all, all kinds of different organizations. Guys, this really is going to be a hub for people from around the community who are looking for resources. So we'd love to get everybody there. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you. So our location is 5 West Las Vegas Street. Um, If you were to drive down Tejon from here uh, and on the south side of downtown, the last light stoplight you would hit before you hit the interstate is Las Vegas Street. We're just west of Tejon and Las Vegas. We're kind of sandwiched in between downtown and Motor City. And I'll just quickly give you kind of an overview. Um, I, I've got some information that's out on the foyer that you could take with you if you wanted to. So what we're building as part of this campus expansion um, is going from a 60-bed winter shelter last year to what just opened on, on Friday night is 168 year-round shelter. So moving not just from 60 beds to 160 beds, but now from seasonal to year-round. And we actually have floor space to, in extreme temperatures, be able to lay out an additional 32 mats on the floor. So 200 people can stay in this shelter. In addition to that, we've just opened a 50-bed women's winter shelter. So here in the high shelter demand season, we can actually have over 250 people staying in our campus, like I said, up from 60 last year. Um, in addition to that larger shelter, right across the courtyard from that, and this courtyard is green spaces and trees and turf and planters, uh, benches, places for people to sit and lie is what we talk about a lot of time. With your, if you're familiar with the downtown conversation, um, then that would mean something. But, um, but across from that is this resource center. The community is calling it a day center. But essentially, over the next three or four months, we're going to be renovating this building to provide uh, a whole bank of showers, laundry facilities, uh, public restrooms, things that are if available at all to our local homeless population are only on a very limited basis. Right now we have two showers for the some 1300 homeless individuals in our community. So this will be 16 showers, all these laundry facilities, plus about a dozen offices for what we call partner agencies. These are organizations both public and private in our community that offer some kind of resource to folks who are struggling with homelessness and poverty. So Peak Vista uh, is uh, medical care for low-income individuals. Aspen Point is mental health care. The Pikes Peak Library District is gonna have educational resources. Uh, The Pikes Peak Workforce Center, the VA. um, Gosh, I could could just keep, keep on going. I get kind of tired of naming all these different organizations, but it's really gonna be the Colorado Springs Police Department's homeless outreach team, the hot team. They already have an office on our campus. So instead of us referring a homeless vet, let's say again, to, uh, to see a social worker that's up on this nice shiny building on Fillmore, which is two bus changes away, and then they got to go into the building, find the elevator, go up on the third floor and take their number and sit there for 90 minutes while they wait for their number to be called. If you've been a homeless vet for the last 15 years and self-medicating your PTSD, you're never going to get there. It's not going to happen. Now, that reference is 30 feet down a hallway. And so the, the pathway to get, again, somebody on this recovery path is so much shorter and so much easier. So all that's going to be happening on our campus, plus a two hundred, a larger two hundred seat dining hall with a much bigger, bigger, kitchen that's going to allow us to really serve three meals a day to our local homeless population. We really will be kind of the hub for anybody on their pathway to recovery. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. How do I volunteer? hmm How do I volunteer, and do I have a hospice waiver? I'll answer the first one, and then I'm going to ask you for clarification on the second one. Um, You can volunteer. The easiest way for you to get plugged in as a volunteer is to go to our website. We've got a specific page set up for volunteering. It's just springsrescuemission.org slash volunteers. And it lists kind of some options, like I want to come down and and volunteer occasionally. I want to come down and volunteer regularly. I think right now it says once a week. But if you're interested in becoming like a regular volunteer, what we would say like a level two volunteer is somebody who gives us between four and ten hours a month. Just click on that once a week part, even if you can't come down weekly. And then uh, there's a third option, I want to volunteer as a group. Um, And so there are lots of different options there. And and if you're interested in talking more about kind of the volunteering, especially as a group, like your your meal groups here, or or maybe your community group or small group or a group of people at work or whatever it might be, if you want to come down and volunteer as a group, come talk to me and let's talk a little bit about what that looks like. The hospice waiver part, can you clarify what it is that you're asking me about? To my knowledge, no. Not, not under supervised care, nor to my knowledge have we had somebody who's physically passed away, for instance, overnight. We know of folks that we're caring for who've passed away in the community somewhere in a parking garage or under a bridge somewhere. I'm not sure. that. But what we will have, let me just see if I can guess at your question, and then if, if I don't hit it, then you can come back at me again. Um, what we will have as part of this new shelter is respite beds for folks who are, let's say, they are homeless and they've landed themselves in an emergency room over the weekend or something like that, and their, their period of care in the hospital has come to an end and they need to free up that, that bed for a new patient, but they're not done with their recovery part. We're going to have a handful of beds that are uh, contracted with us in our shelter where they're going to receive supervised care, but they're going to do so at the shelter instead of in a hospital. Right. Yeah, so typically somebody who's going to receive hospice care would not do so at our facility. They would receive care that's going to help restore them. But if somebody's in a hospice situation, that, that would not happen on our campus. Yeah, good question. Anybody else? Yes, sir. What Hmm. the odds of somebody who is brand new to town in the wintertime Uh, very, so the question is, again, for the recording, what are the odds that somebody new to town, unfamiliar with our, our community, is going to be able to find shelter uh, at the Springs Rescue Mission? That's essentially your question, right? So uh, the way that our sheltering works is as long as there's space, people, whoever can come and stay. Now, I should say that we're focused specifically on providing services for homeless adult men and women. And I say that because, for instance, we've, we've, uh, we've done a lot of work with other organizations in the community over the last couple of years to make sure that org- certain organizations are kind of what I'm calling swimming in their lane. And so essentially Urban Peak is an organization that provides uh, shelter for homeless teens and really, even though we've done things for homeless families over the course of the last few years, this low-barrier policy that I mentioned a few minutes ago um, really is, makes it unsafe for children. And so Catholic Charities really is becoming uh, the point of contact for homeless families. They work with an organization here in town called IHN, or Family Promise, and they're working with homeless families, of which there's a couple hundred in our community, um, we're focused on meeting the needs of the majority of our local homeless population, which is adult men and women. And so for those folks who are coming onto our campus that fit that criteria, they're going to come onto our campus. And as long as we have space in our shelter, regardless of their situation, they're welcome to stay. If we're in excess, in other words, if there's more people than what we have room to shelter at that particular time, then we work on a week-long lottery system. Every Monday, we draw, uh, we draw a lottery and so folks have seven nights of shelter uh, for, for the rest of that week. And that we do that because we want people to be able to, to have a safe place to keep their belongings so that they know that there's at least some stability for the course of that week to be able to start making some progress on some of the other things that they're trying to do instead of doing the lottery every day. Um, and so we, we used to do a daily lottery. We've discovered this week-long lottery is, is a better fit for folks who are on our campus. So as long as there's space, they can come and stay. If we're in excess, then that's when the lottery kicks in. Um, And so, but even if they're coming to the community and they're trying to figure out where to land, really the rescue mission is the right place for them to start because we do work, again, in partnership with so many other organizations who provide some sort of service, we can help direct them to the place that's gonna give them the proper resource. Um, pretty low. I mean, if you remember that number of 311 unsheltered individuals, so now we're talking about, you know, we're able to provide 250 shelter beds for individuals this winter. That makes a pretty big dent in that 311 number. Um, It doesn't get us all the way there, but uh, Salvation Army is offering a few more beds this winter, and there's a few other options that are trying to get us closer to that. Really, the magic number for us is 320. Um, So the likelihood of somebody being able to find shelter is going up, much more significantly than it has in the last couple of years. I mean, I, again, it, it could be on a daily basis you know, that the number of people finding shelter in all these different places changes, so that is gonna change their likelihood, but it's certainly getting much, much better. Yes, sir. Yeah, great training. So asking about training opportunities for volunteers. Essentially, for folks who are coming down and they just kind of want to get their feet wet or dip their toe in the water um, and just see what it's like to volunteer at a place like the rescue mission, um, most of those folks we deploy in in one of two places, helping us serve a meal or to help us kind of sort donations in the warehouse. Um, Two different parts of our operation that require very little training. But for folks who are, maybe they've come down a few times and they really have discovered this is where I want to be, or they feel like they just have the time to contribute and this is the way that they want to do it, those, like I mentioned earlier, the level two volunteers that give us somewhere between four and 10 hours a month, those are folks that we're able to now give extended training to and we're able to deploy in the variety of programs that we have, again, with kind of those three different populations, the homeless, the working poor, and the addicted. So we have men and women who, for instance, come in on a weekly basis and they'll teach a variety of classes to the men in our addiction recovery program, computer classes, professional business classes. Gary's been a mentor and a teacher for some of the guys in that program over the last few years. Gary's one of our board members, which is why I keep referring to him. Um, Gary, wave your hand. There's people in the back wondering who you are. Um, so there's, a, there's men and women who come in and provide that kind of professional training, life skills training, and spiritual discipleship. Uh, and then for folks who are interested in working alongside our, our folks who are facing poverty and homelessness, We do, again, some more extended training about what our programs look like, what the intended outcomes are, and what you're going to encounter when you come alongside folks who are dealing with long bouts of homelessness. Because you need some training, you need some skills, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, It's not just as easy as showing up, And, and a lot of times the questions that come up from the folks that are coming to our campus for services, you just need to have some insight too. So we spend a little more time doing training for that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm I'm really glad that you asked that. Job opportunities for the homeless. So one of the things with our expanded shelter, I mentioned this term a few minutes ago, and I didn't get a chance to really explain it. Um, There's a term that that, that we use a lot at the Rescue Mission called healthy engagement. Essentially, where we're going, where we've been at the Rescue Mission, if you think about Springs Rescue Mission, there's a few things that probably come to mind, and it's usually food, clothing, and shelter. And you kind of think about those three things. Where we're going to, as we expand this campus, is not just doing the food, clothing, shelter part, but what we want to start measuring are another, three, another kind of triad of things, housing, health, and employment. Okay, so you think about food, clothing, and shelter. Those are good things, but they're things that people keep coming back to the rescue mission for, every day, every week, whatever that situation. If we can get start doing some better measurement around housing, health, and employment, those are things that are going to allow people to start launching themselves out into a self-sustaining independent life, okay? So when we talk about employment, so much of what we're doing on our campus in terms of the changing of our programs is getting people back to work readiness. Um, And so whether it's, you know again, the folks, the men that are living on our campus that are part of our New Life program or the folks that are uh, a part of our local homeless population, some of it's just about helping them understand what work is. So that healthy engagement thing that I talk about, when folks come onto our campus, we don't require it yet, but we're getting to that point where if somebody's going to come onto our campus for a week's worth of shelter and they make that lottery that I was talking about, we're going to ask them to help participate in some activities around our campus that are going to start teaching them how to work again. Cleaning the bathroom, sweeping the floors, wiping down walls, changing out laundry, helping prepare or serve a meal. Some of those things that we have honestly relied on volunteers for in the past, we're going to ask some of our guests to do. Because if they haven't been working for 10 or 15 or 20 years, and again they've been self-medicating some of their issues for the last you know, period of time, these are folks that just need to learn how to work for an hour before we get them into a job where they're working for 8 or 10 or 12 hours. So again, tool appropriate tools at the appropriate times. So these are folks, you know, when they, when they do come onto our campus, we're going to start them on a pathway, we're going to ask them to participate in some of these activities, and then what we're going to be able to do is, as we get this new resource center open, we're actually going to be able to put people on a track where, for instance, an employment track, if we feel like we can help somebody get back into the workforce, we're going to guarantee them, let's say, 90 nights of shelter while we can help them rebuild their resume, we can, we can deploy them in our warehouse or in various parts of our own campus operations, we can get them trained in perhaps an area that they have developed some aptitude or some liking for, like IT or facilities management or some of these things that we have the ability to train them in, and then we can start getting them connected with employment providers and so on and so forth the issue is getting them stabilized. Once we can make sure that they're not worried about where they're staying that night and where their meals are going to be coming from, and if they're going to make the lottery the next week, then we can start walking people down that path. And that's what, that's what a lot of those track systems are designed for. So, good question. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So, um, Greenway Flats, uh, some of you may or may not uh, have heard about this. In addition to this campus expansion project that you've seen a lot about in the news and paper and all that kind of stuff is um, a a separate project for um, a a development on our campus that's known as permanent supportive housing. It's a 65 unit basically apartment complex um, that is not coming at any cost to taxpayers or it's not we're not using any donor dollars it's being developed by the Norwood Development Group um, funded by uh, statewide local income or uh, low income housing tax credits And it's a $14 million complex that's going to be built on our campus, providing um, housing for the most vulnerable of our local homeless population. So you think about kind of the 65 people in our local homeless population that are the most vulnerable. These are folks in that dual diagnosis camp, people that are not going to get better staying in emergency shelter. Okay, now, some people will. Some people will get better as they're able to walk down a pathway. Some people, they've just their issues are too deep, too long. Substance abuse has just taken control. And the reality is that their pathway towards sustainability, like I said, is going to be very long, very difficult. And they need kind of complete care surrounding them pretty much all the time. Um, so this building, called Greenway Flats, is essentially studio apartments for 65 of our most vulnerable homeless uh, men and women. Who are going to be living in this property the springs rescue mission is going to be the program provider helping provide them the programs and services for their care and for their restoration and then the property management company is going to be the one you know changing the light bulbs and taking care of the water heater and all that kind of stuff that that uh, that building is going to come up in late 2018. And so those, again, this this frees up 65 more shelter beds in our community. It allows people to get on a personalized pathway towards restoration, and it really is providing surrounding care for the people that I would say in our community are really the least of these. I mean, honestly, I could make a pretty good case for the fact that a homeless child has more resources at their disposal than a 65-year-old homeless man. Because the, the smudgy-faced kid that's on a postcard gets a little bit more love and a little bit more resource. Terrible situation, I would never wish that on anybody, let alone my own children. But they get a lot more attention both from the government and from organizations than the guy with the haggard beard who's been sleeping under a bridge for 15 years. So now when you talk about Greenway Flats and our expanded campus and you talk about our new life program that's housing men in addiction recovery and the transitional housing units that we have for those guys who are transitioning back into the workforce, now on our campus on the south side of downtown, you're talking about a variety of housing options for a spectrum of people that are usually painted with one very broad brush, right? So most of us, myself included, we, we tend to see somebody standing in a street corner and we don't know their situation, but we tend to paint them with the same brush as the person at the next street corner and the person who's shuffling up and down the streets of downtown and the person who's sleeping under a bridge and so on and so forth. The reality is that each one of those individuals has a very different situation, a very different story and a very different pathway towards restoration. Now the, the whole spectrum of services is going to be located in one place. And the best part about it is that it's located in a place that believes in Christ, that believes in the kingdom and that believes in the power of the gospel. So that's a pretty powerful set of options, and it just so happens to be at the mayor's kind of focal point for meeting the needs of this community in this particular way. Any kind of final questions? Yes, ma'am. Me personally? Yeah. So I was a pastor here in town for about 10 years at Woodman Valley Chapel. Um, and I spent about 10 years there, uh, and it was a great season of my life, and um, I came to the Rescue Mission essentially to strengthen our partnership with a local church, Big C Church, and uh, and so I get the chance to work alongside about 120 pastors here in town who are in some way or another involved with what we're doing at the Rescue Mission, which is beautiful. I don't. No, not specifically. We have a lot of really smart people on the inside of our organization that really do, so... I'm just I'm just a storyteller. Yes ma'am. So you mentioned that we're a yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so for some, I mean, just direct contributions to something like that would be, I mean, we love to have guest blog writers. So that's just one idea. So if you're a writer or you happen to maybe work in an industry that has some sort of insight, we'd love to have people who support us uh, do so by writing a blog. Here's one thing that I think comes out a lot. I see so many church groups, and I see this from people other than church groups as well, just kind of community do-go- do-gooders, who they pull up a van to Acacia Park, slide open the side door, and start handing out sandwiches. Hear me right. Please stop. It doesn't help. All we're doing is continuing to encourage um, misbehavior, continuing to encourage vagrancy in Acacia Park and Monument Valley Park and America the Beautiful Park, beautiful places in our community that are becoming very difficult for most of our citizens to enjoy. Because every Thursday night, and every Sunday morning and every other Tuesday, we've got groups from local churches or people who feel like they want to make a difference. And I used to do the same thing. When I was a pastor at Woodman Valley Chapel, I did the same thing. Uh, you know, I just thought, oh, I want to make a difference. I'm going to bring all my kids. They're going to have a great experience. We're going to hand out tacos on Tuesday nights. It's called Taco Tuesday. It's cool, you know? But it's not helping. We're just, again, we're continuing to encourage people to hang out in parks. We're continuing to encourage people to get away from places who are going to provide services. So now that you know some of these things and somebody comes up and they says, hey, there's a whole bunch of homeless people hanging out in Acacia Park. We should go help. You say, you're right. We should. Let's call the rescue mission and see what we can do best. Or let's call ESM or let's call Catholic Charities and see what would be most helpful. Because maybe we ask you to do that, and some of you may be familiar. There's been a. It started with New Life years ago. Five Dollar Missions is a local um, kind of group. They're not really an organized committee of any kind, but a group of people that shows up to the McDonald's downtown. Um, I think every Sunday afternoon, and they everybody brings five bucks. They buy as many burgers as they can, and they go out and just try and feed people and build relationships. Honestly, that's a good thing, and I've talked with those folks several times because they're out building relationships with people who aren't willing yet to come to a place like the rescue mission but I want them to be aware of what we're doing so that when you're out talking to that person and you're building trust with them you say hey have you ever connected to the rescue mission how about you and I walk over there together and go get dinner Um, because that's a great way for us to work alongside some of these community groups again church groups or otherwise who are trying to do some really good things but maybe just because they're uninformed they just aren't really doing it quite the right way does that make sense? So there's lots of different ideas, and I'm I'm at kind of liberty to kind of help you be creative and think about some of those things. So if there are things you're thinking about doing, come and talk to me, and let's be creative together. Good question. What's our, what time are we supposed to end? Does anybody know? Nobody told me. 10 minutes ago, way to go. I'm just, like, I'm just like a pastor. I'm channeling my old pastor days. So um, guys, thanks so much for being here. Um, I'm gonna be here, but probably immediately I'm gonna go more out to the foyer. And if you want to, come talk to me and I've got some information out there if you wanna take some home with you. So thanks so much.